message this morning is a God who makes himself vulnerable. I want to continue to read from Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Quite a story. As human beings, we are vulnerable. And we we know we are. We have seen high-tech space shuttles disintegrate leaving no trace of human remains. We have seen skyscrapers collapse. We have seen stock markets plummet, rearranging retirement plans. We've seen companies bought, sold, moved with city-wrecking swiftness. We've seen viruses spread, kill, mutate. We've seen babies snuffed out in the womb because their timing was inconvenient. We've seen the earth polluted and poisoned. We've seen health disappear at the reading of a blood test. We've seen hurricanes and earthquakes rearrange life for millions. We've seen governments fail to deliver financial responsibility. We've seen nations bring the world to the brink of war. Gunmen cut lives short at theaters, outdoor concerts, schools, worship services, Bible studies, city sidewalks. Any serious-minded person who thinks about the way the world is headed has reason to feel vulnerable. So we do all kinds of things to cope with our vulnerability. Some folks numb themselves to it by too much TV or Too much sports or novels or eating or drinking or pornography, you fill in the blanks. Some folks keep themselves extra busy so they can avoid serious thought about life. Others of us power up and create safe zones so we can guard our space and and wall ourselves in from unwelcomed intruders and inconvenient people. We live between 
avoidance and the appearance of being tough. But we're still vulnerable. But as Christians, even though we are vulnerable, we don't have to live our lives in fear because God's love cast out perfect fear. God's perfect love cast out fear. We don't have to be afraid. God himself is with us. He warned us, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Take heart, I've overcome the world. This time of year, we're reminded that Mary's is a picture of vulnerability. Through the years, artists and, and authors and movie directors have, have kind of plucked Mary out of context and gave, gave her a social status and chronological age that she didn't have. At the Nelson Atkins Art Gallery in Kansas City, you can see Mary through the eyes of artists, many artists. And in the composite, she's a mature adult. She wears velvet dresses, usually deep red. She lives in a larger than average home. She has a chair by the window through which light cascades softly, and she likes to read. This is the Mary of classic art. And she appears to be fully in charge of her space, but we know better. Mary is a junior, she's probably a junior high girl. She wears clothing from Goodwill or Walmart at best. She probably can't read because girls of her day rarely did. Her parents make all the decisions that affect her life, including one that she should be married to a man named Joseph. We don't know if she even liked Joseph. She lives in such a small town. It doesn't even have a stoplight or McDonald's. And into the bedroom of this young adolescent comes the brightly beaming divine messenger whose name means God has shown himself mighty. She stands there in her flannel nightgown, her hair perhaps braided by her best friend, wearing big camel or little donkey house shoes. If you ask me, this, this is kind of a divine overkill. Think about it. Resplendent angel versus surprised and troubled adolescent. Holy wattage, a zillion plus watts versus a candlelit bedroom. Might and glory versus weakness and vulnerability. Defenseless, I think so. Fragile, yes. Overwhelmed, most likely. Vulnerable, definitely. That's why we pay a little more attention to Mary this time of year. You see, we can get our arms around Mary. She's like us. She has had overwhelming stuff happen to her in her life. She has faced life with little power to make it turn out the way that she planned. Forces beyond her have rearranged her life. She's a matron saint of vulnerability. In their culture, a couple who was engaged was considered legally married. They just hadn't consummated the marriage. See, a betrothal involved the entire families from both sides, including transfers of money, property, and other legal obligations. A bride becoming pregnant before the final marriage ceremony would bring shame not only to themselves, but to both families. Under the law, she would be the one 
considered guilty as the adulterer. So there were two options for Mary at this point. One, be sent back to her father's house, never to marry again. Or two, be stoned to death while people quoted scripture over her. But Mary was willing to lay down her life and endure a scandal to say yes to God's will. She was willing to lay down her life for Jesus. She is willing to give up her entitlements, all she's worked for, all she could be, her reputation to have Jesus formed in her. She gave it all for the sake of Christ to be formed in her, for the sake of the world. If you ever think our own story or your own story is not in the Bible, look closely at Mary. She's honorable, and we are too. Brett and Johnny lost their baby boy within weeks of a leukemia diagnosis. Julie died of ovarian cancer, leaving two baby girls behind. Emily's husband walked out on her two weeks ago. Sam is in counseling for depression. He's nine. Aaron can't return to college next semester. His dad lost his job. The war between Russia and Ukraine isn't going like we hoped, and who knows how Hamas's terroristic aggression against Israel will end. Good health insurance, or health insurance period, is no longer a benefit for many. It's an out-of-pocket, nightmarish expense. Walmart keeps the vast majority of their employees under 32 hours, so by law, they don't have to provide health insurance. Tom is failing high school. He really doesn't care. He just plays Xbox. We can get our arms around Mary because she seems to know how we feel. But Mary may not be the most vulnerable one in this story. There is one who becomes even more vulnerable than Mary. The God who becomes dependent flesh in the womb of a vulnerable Mary. This story may seem to magnify Mary, but it's really about God and the vulnerability of God. What's it like when God, the Word, the eternal Logos, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Everything that was made was made through Him. In Him was light, there's no darkness, and He became flesh, and He he lived among us. What is it like when God, the Word, the eternal Logos, becomes a human being? Do you want to evoke wonder? Think about that. The greatest wonder of all is God, the Word, the Logos becoming flesh. Ponder that. When the eternal Word, Logos, becomes flesh, God became a full participant in the human story as a human being. The moment the eternal word entered the game, the outcome was determined. God would finish what he started in the Garden of Eden. The whole cosmos would be redeemed, made new, and humankind would be saved. I don't know if you remember the song or not, but back in 1995, Joan Osborne released a song, What If God Was One of Us? Some of the words said this, If God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? And yeah, yeah, God is great. God is good. 
What if God was one of us, just like one of us? Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see? If seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets, and yeah, God is great. God is good. What if God was one of us, just like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? Well, wonder no more, Joe Osborne and the rest of the world. The gospel reveals to us that God did become one of us because God loves us and has joined us to save us. The moment Mary said, be it unto me according to your word, the Logos, the eternal word, God becoming, becoming flesh was set in motion. God, the creator, I mean, ponder this, think about it. God, the creator becomes creature. God, the breath of every living thing becomes embryo. God whose hand scoops out oceans floats in a fetal sack. The one who is God from God and light from light entered nine months of darkness within a human womb. A line from a prayer in the book of common prayer says, when you became man to set us free, you did not shun the virgin's womb. The first darkness The light of lights knew was a nine-month darkness in the mother's womb. 33 years later, the divine light knew the darkness of a human tomb. You want to evoke wonder? Think of the one through whom and by whom and for whom all things were created in infancy, entirely dependent on mom. God, whose voice splits the cedar trees, cries for his mother's milk. God who crushes king's armies can't walk. God who feeds all living things is hungry. Mary nursed God. She carried God around. She burped God. God, full of glory, uses the number one and number two in his diaper. God who is almighty cannot defend himself. What about Logos? What about the eternal word in childhood? Logos, the full substance of all knowledge. Learning to read words. The omnipotent, omnipotent, learning to walk. Do you wonder about things like that? You don't have to have the answers. Just wonder and awe in the mystery of God becoming flesh and loving us enough to give up his glory with the Father in heaven and becoming flesh, living among us. On the day that Gabriel came to visit Mary, on the day the Holy Spirit came upon her, on the day that the power of the Most High overshadowed her, on that day, God became vulnerable. Well, you ask, how vulnerable? Well, Herod hunted him. Hometown folk reached for rocks to stone him. Pharisees criticized him. Family members just absolutely thought he was nuts. A friend turned on him. Liars testified against him. Rulers chickened out on justice and caved in to the demands of a lynch mob. City folks spit on him. Soldiers crucified him. Dying thieves mocked him. Pious leaders mocked him as he died. That's how vulnerable God became the day, that day, in Mary's womb. 
What happens to us has already happened to him. He came into our vulnerability. He meets us there. You know, I forget that sometimes. I prefer Gabriel, the messenger of the God who shows himself mighty with a capital M. When I'm vulnerable, I want to behold a delivering, transforming, world-altering, situation-changing, putting me back in control, God. I ask God to meet me at the intersection of fixed and finished. And that's exactly what the Messiah anticipating Jews of Jesus' day wanted. But God has chosen to meet us in the vulnerability of Christ, revealing himself to us at the point of our vulnerability. The saints of the Psalms knew this. It's why they prayed, I'm afraid or I don't know where to turn, or I can't go on much longer, or I can't fix this. I'm in a mess of my own making. I've fallen. I can't get up. I'm dying down here. Do you care, God? Jesus is God's answer to all those prayers. Dare we meet the mighty God at the point of our vulnerability? He's here, right here, right now. And we sing it in a Christmas carol where meek souls We'll receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. On this last day of Advent, Christmas Eve, I want to remind us all that we can endure and embrace the fragile, vulnerable reality of our world because this is where God is most at home right now because this is the world in which His children live, you and me. Our God is at work for his purposes in the world through us, his body, the body of Christ, the church. And he wants us to use our vulnerability to point people to him. Let me tell you, people sit up and take notice when you make yourself vulnerable. You become transparent when you share your struggle with them. I never have been a big person to journal, but when we lost our grandson, I journaled on Facebook and just how I was feeling and my battles and my thoughts. And I was honest and real. I got more comments from how people, that helped people in their spiritual journey. They don't want to know how strong we are. (laughs) They want to know how we respond to tragedy. How do we do life differently when things aren't going our way? They look at our lives and say, you're different. I want what you have. Can we make ourselves vulnerable even to others so they may see Christ in us? As Mary accepts the mission of God, nothing about her life will ever be the same again. And she replies with, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. And later in that song, in Luke chapter 1, verse 54, she says, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful for he made the promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. God's word will never fail. Mary knows her God. She's heard the scriptures. She's the first preacher and the first disciple of Jesus living her life where what she believes intersects with what she does. I like watching debates and dialogues. And of recent, I've been into watching uh, 
some notables, new atheists debating Christians, Sam Harris and others. A statement just haunted me. And one of them said, the biggest thing that makes me not really want to believe in Christianity is the Christians I know, what they say they believe and how they live doesn't match up. They say one thing and live like they believe something else. And I said, oh God, I don't want to be that person. I want to be whole, a person of integrity who, who lives what I believe. Mary, what she believed and how she lived intersected. The Messiah, the Christ, and Mary is the hope of the world. From the womb to the world and then from the tomb to the world translates into what Paul called the mystery of God in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in Mary now becomes the Christ in you, the hope of glory. This Advent and Christmas season gives us another chance to embrace that mystery like Mary, to lay down our lives, entitlements, and reputations so the love of Christ can be formed in us for the sake of the world. May our humility, our faith, our generosity, and our willingness to be vulnerable for the sake of the kingdom of God reflect the Christ born in us. May everything about this come true. Father, we thank you for this old story. It's so familiar to us, and we've heard it so many times. And we're so busy, even doing good things like buying presents for each other and those we love and family members, that we don't take time to stop and to ponder the mystery, the wonder of it all, the greatest wonder of all, God becoming flesh, that he may save us and give us not only life everlasting in the sweet by and by, but Lord, that you may give us abundant life here now because you give us purpose. And you give us reason. And you give us direction in life. And you make all things new. We give you praise. Father, we thank you for this time to be together as your people. We're sorry our pastor and wife can't be with us. Would you minister to, to them today? to that family who has lost a loved one, especially during this, this time of Advent and Christmas. Lord, we pray for all those who feel lonely and sad. Things aren't going well. We pray for those who get depressed during this time of season. Lord, may they see and may, may your spirit minister to them and may your body, the church, and people who know you minister to them during this time. Father, our heart goes around. Our hearts just ache, and we continue to pray, and we continue to grieve with the Spirit over what's happening in the Middle East and all the innocent lives that are caught in between, the families who have been displaced, who have lost loved ones. Lord, we pray for the families in Ukraine who have been displaced, everything they know, their home, their church, their hospital, their community centers, their friends, nothing to go back to because it's been bombed or shelled or they've been relocated and now they're in another land. 
Father, I pray for your church, the people that are ministering to people around the world who have been displaced for whatever reason. All the organizations who provide shelter and who feed, who feed them and who try now to find them permanent places to live. We pray for Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, especially during this time of year. We pray for our missionaries, Lord, in 160 countries around the world who are spreading this good news that God loves them so much that he gave. He not only came as a person, but Lord, he gave his life on the cross. We rejoice in that today. May you touch our hearts. May we say yes to your will. May we be willing to be people of integrity and honesty and yes, even vulnerability for your kingdom's sake. Amen.